Well, I invite you now to turn with me in the Bible, and there should be some Bibles in the rack underneath the chair in front of you if you don't have it, or you can look it up on the app, or you can just uh, listen along, and that'll be fine. But we are uh, continuing in a series, and today if you're maybe connecting back with us after a season away, or you're uh, with us for the first time, we're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, but this is also a fantastic passage not only the next passage in, in our series, but also a fantastic passage for us to look at on this particular day of Easter Sunday. Uh, one of the things that um, I think about when I, I think of our church, and uh, you know, it's a blessing to be in a community where we regularly are able to pray for the other churches around us, where the gospel's being lifted up, especially on a day like today. That is such a, a blessing to see that happening in so many places and ways. Uh, maybe one of the, the special things that we think about as a church body of sort of offering and bringing to that table is, is depth, uh, depth of community involvement, uh, depth, we hope, of worship service content, uh, depth, as I mentioned a minute ago, we hope of relationship with one another. It's not easy to, to get that, but a depth of discipleship, depth of, of walking with Jesus as his disciples. Uh, and hopefully depth of sermon teaching as well. And one of the ways we aim at that, even though it's uh, maybe a little bit uh, more difficult for you and for me as well, is by trying to walk through a book of the Bible as regularly as we can. It, it kind of forces us to, to look at what the Bible actually says and not just what I think I might want to say or you think you might want to hear, but to hear from God's Word. So that, that's why we've been working our way through Second Corinthians. And again, love to have you all back with us next week as we take the, the next step on that journey. Uh, an overarching title or theme, I guess we would say, as we think about Second Corinthians uh, met in a great message for us to consider today is the idea of receiving Christ's ministry through the church for life transformation. So receiving Christ's ministry through the church for life transformation. That's a, a key message across 2 Corinthians. And if you're familiar at all with these two books that the Apostle Paul wrote to this early church in Corinth, you know that the, the first book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as a matter of fact, is a, a tour de force of the uh, of the resurrection. If you want to hear about the resurrection, that's a, a great passage to look at top to bottom, a long, long section of scripture, but all about the resurrection, because it seems like at that point, the folks in the Corinthian church they were struggling to understand the resurrection. They weren't valuing it all that much or its importance. They didn't grasp it. Now it seems in 2 Corinthians where we are, the Apostle Paul, of course, wants them to continue to think about the resurrection, but he's also inviting them to not forget the cross and that the two go together. And that's what we want to look at today as well, how the death and resurrection of Christ can lead to renewal in our lives as we embrace it by faith. So listen as I read along aloud, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 14 and just go through the end of this chapter. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then listen to this last verse. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together again. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message, the testimony it gives to us of these astounding realities. And we ask today that you would fill us with more of your presence and your love and your power, that you would captivate us more with your love, Lord, that we would be blessed, that you'd be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't have alligator arms? I don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. Out to a, a nice dinner, perhaps with family or a coworker or a friend. And you're enjoying some nice conversation, wrapping up the meal, and out of the corner of your eye, you see that waitress or waiter coming along, carrying that little black booklet. You know what's in it. The check, the bill, whatever we want to call it. And, you know, if somebody hasn't, you know, dibs on it previously, the waitresses are usually pretty strategic, and they set it right in the middle of the table, and then the alligator arms kick in, don't they? No, you don't know you, you know, no me. No, no, I'll get it. No, no, you get the check. No. What a blessing today as we think about this passage that Jesus doesn't have alligator arms. In fact, that he stretches out his arms for you and me on the cross, and he not only uh, takes care of the bill, the debt that we're owed, but if we can carry the analogy a little bit further, he buys dessert. Maybe better yet, he buys us a gift card to the best restaurant in town that's never-ending, that's always full of cash. That's the picture of what Jesus does. He reaches out and he extends to us his love. This is what it's talking about in this verse 21. I've learned it in another version of the Bible, so I'm not even going to try to read it on there. It just says this, God made him who had no sin 
Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This debt that he takes on for us and through his righteousness and through his resurrection, the gift of life that he gives to us all free. You can follow along if you want in this sermon message in the back of your worship guide. There's some some notes and some thoughts that I put down there for you on the last page, I think it is. Uh, the main idea that I, I hope we would take away, maybe you can think about the alligator arms. That's probably what most people will remember, but that'd be a good one if we think about Christ reaching out his arms. But if you want to go a little bit deeper is this. The love of Christ that's revealed for you and me in his death and in his resurrection compels us to receive reconciliation with God and to embrace new spiritual life. Let's face it, uh, you know, Dax was, was right, as he pointed out earlier in the worship service, as marvelous and as celebratory as Easter Sunday is, either flowing over from yesterday or the week prior or looming ahead in the next day or the next week are the realities of life. And for some of us here, new spiritual life sounds about as exciting as a new white Hanes t-shirt. We feel like we've kind of got it covered. It doesn't seem all that great. Yeah, going to Easter on, going to church on Easter Sunday, hanging out with some family and so forth. That's about all we expect from it. Uh, a new electronic device, a new house, a new car, a new spouse, a spouse, new parents, new kids. Those things sound pretty exciting. Those sound really exciting. New spiritual life. Hmm. Take it or leave it, maybe, is where some of us are today. Others of us hear about new spiritual life and say, you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. Same old, same old. This week will be the same old problems at work, the same old problems at home, same old struggles with my sin, same old patterns of life, same old physical challenges that I'm facing And so it's hard for us to really embrace what Jesus says in this passage, what the Apostle Paul is telling us about Jesus' work, that we can have new spiritual life, that we can be renewed spiritually. I want us to believe that today. The Lord wants us to believe that today. I invite you to a fresh embrace of it. Others of us here today, maybe we... We understand that that's a a reality or a concept, but we look around this group of people and it kind of, you know, folks sitting around us, it looks like a sort of spiritual country club, a religious country club. Everybody looks fairly nice. And we think if those people knew what was in my mind or what I said or what I did in the last week or the last month or 20 years ago. I can't imagine what they would think of me. We don't, we don't doubt that there is maybe some new spiritual life out there, but we don't believe that there's somehow that we could take a share in it. And we forget that what is going on right around you today is a bunch of people who recognize, I hope, that we're spiritually sick and we're at the hospital. 
a, a bunch of folks who realize that we are addicts and we seek the latest spiritual fix besides God and we're here to be a part of a rehab program. That's what this is. That's what the resurrection power is about, is giving us that power for transformation. So I'd encourage you too today, if you're here today, and it's not that you say, I don't care about it. You say, there's no way it can possibly work for me. There's no way it could possibly apply to someone as lousy as me. I want to invite you to believe today. Believe the gospel message that Easter is about. And our passage helps guide us through that right from the beginning when it talks about this idea of the love of Christ. You take a look with me at verse 14. It starts off that way. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. It's an interesting little phrase there. The first thing that uh, that comes to my mind as I see this is to think about the way that really what happens on Easter Sunday is a culmination and the pinnacle and the centerpiece of all of God's work of love across the scope of scripture. Those that have been here on a regular basis probably have heard me say this before, but it it helped, it bears repeating again on Easter Sunday to situate what is this Easter reality about? And it really goes all the way back to Genesis. When God brought about a people, Adam and Eve, put him in his place and put him under his plan of rule and blessing. It's a thread that runs all through scripture. They turn away from God. They choose like you and I do to go a, a different path. And then they're out of God's place and they're struggling to find their way back to God's plan of rule and blessing. And he extends it to them afresh by grace with Noah. Then later on with Abraham, we see God bringing about his people, gathering them together, desiring to put them in a place under his plan of rule and blessing, his covenant promises. Moses in the old uh, covenant, the law of God is given as a blessing to the people, intended to be a blessing to people. They're in God's place in the promised land. It's, it's pinnacle is the King David. We know Jesus is the fulfillment of that kingship. We know David fell so short, but he was the pinnacle of that Old Testament God reigning among his people in his place. They're removed from that place. All those prophetic books in the Old Testament when the people are in exile. That's what that's about. They're being, they're, they're, they're in a, a a huge timeout like we do maybe with our kids. Put them in a timeout for discipline. The people of God are in timeout, in exile, removed from God's place. And we see Jesus coming in. And Jesus, as we see, comes in, comes to Jerusalem on the week of Easter, offers himself so that he could do what? To purchase you and me to be God's people today in this place We trust under God's plan of rule and blessing. And guess what? When Jesus comes back or when we pass on, we're in Christ. We're headed to, Revelation tells us, a place where we will be with God's people under God's plan of rule and blessing. So Easter is all about that. And what Jesus does is the culmination of that. That's an expression, the fullness of the expression of God's love. So it says here in verse 14, the love of Christ, and then it goes on and says, controls us. I don't know about you, but I don't like that word at all. <laughs> I don't like being controlled. I want to be my own man, go my own way. Maybe it'll take the edge off to, you know, substitute another word like compels or propels or impels. 
But either way, guess what? And if you think about it in our human relationships, it's the same. Love does require something of us. As people love us, then there's a response that is rightly given to that. So the love of Christ is meant to impact us and shape us. It talks about it a little bit further down there. It says that we might no longer live for ourselves. This is in verse 15. But for him who for our sake died and was raised. So don't don't make any mistake about it. God indeed wants to change your life. He wants to compel you to a new direction. And that direction is a delightful one. It's better than the direction that you and I are going and tend to go, even though we might have trouble seeing it. This phrase, love of Christ, is pretty interesting. It only occurs in the New Testament three times, once here and two other places. It's like a little uh, tagline, if you will. It's a designator. And the two other places that it says the love of Christ, one is in Romans 8.35, where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it says, Shall trial or difficulty or this or that, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. That's one place where it's mentioned. And in Ephesians 3, maybe you've heard this passage before, talking about how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. So when Paul says the love of Christ, he's talking about that magnitude of God's love for us. Well, then there's this part in this verse 14 that says, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. What is that talking about? We're sitting here alive. In what sense is it that we have died or would say that we have died? Well, there's a passage in Galatians that maybe helps us get this a little bit. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What's it talking about here? It's saying that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that we're so linked to him that all the things that can be said to be true of Jesus can then be said to be true of you and me. And if we don't like riding the elevator down to die to ourselves, we're not going to get to ride the elevator up to the resurrection to new life in Christ. This passage is reminding us that we're tethered together with Jesus. Maybe you can think about it this way. I, I've got, we've got four boys in our household. And for better or for worse, you know, the, the oldest one gets to do certain things. And I guess maybe, you know, doesn't get to do certain things. And then as the younger ones are coming along, and they're not going to like this even while I'm saying it here, but it's just a reality. You know, the downside is if the older one didn't get to do it, you know, we probably learn and tweak a few things along the way as parents, but probably they're not going to get to do it either, right? He's kind of a forerunner of the other ones. But the flip side is also true, and this is what I want you to think about with what it says in this passage of being linked to Christ. What the older one gets to do, it's pretty hard to tell the younger ones they can't get to do, right? That's what this is saying about Jesus. That he goes before us and, and we are linked to him in death and we're raised up with him. First Corinthians chapter 15 says it this way. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. For as by a man came death, talking about Adam, 
By a man also has come the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Christ the first fruits or the forerunner, we would say. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Do you believe that today? As you think about Easter, think about God's love and what Jesus has done. It's a beautiful, beautiful message as we unpack it. What do we do with that love of Christ? The Apostle Paul tells us where we should head with it. We are hopefully beginning to to think, to chew on this morning, the love of Christ and how we can be linked with Jesus in his death and also in his resurrection. Look with me at verse 16. And I want us to look for a moment at the privilege we have as we're linked to Christ to embrace new spiritual life. Says this in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Jesus according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is kind of funny Bible language, I guess, a little bit. But I think we can understand it. I think it makes sense to us in in this way. You know, we don't judge a book by its cover. Got to look under the hood. And what Paul is saying is that both with each other, right? You've probably had a conversation with somebody at some point that, Maybe something about them, they didn't seem all that impressive. Their persona or their appearance or whatever. And you discovered there was something pretty significant about them. Either their character or their accomplishments. Maybe on the spiritual side. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we don't look at each other just on the surface anymore. You might be surprised. That person sitting right down the pew from you is a powerful prayer warrior who's been praying for you. Somebody who's really bold and self-sacrificing and really serves for other people in a powerful way or, or whatever. We don't judge a book by its cover. But most importantly, the Apostle Paul says, we're not doing this with Jesus either. We're not going to put Jesus into a box and limit him. Goes on in verse 17. Why is this important to understand? Verse 17, because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. My wife and some other ladies from the church are doing a Bible study, and I think this is from that Bible study. Anyway, my wife's been mentioning this phrase, but she's been talking about taking the measure of God. I think that's the way she's been saying it. And I forgot my tape measure. I brought it along here, but it's not up front. But picture a tape measure, if you will. <laughs> you know, uh, measure the, the shoulders, measure the measure the head, measure the, the height. You know, we, we take measurements of ourselves, okay? Not in a physical way most of the time, but in other ways. We, we measure ourselves. We gauge ourselves. And we we take God and we kind of take a measuring tape and we sort of, okay, maybe he's about that big. I know he's bigger than me. I know he can do something powerful, but let's measure him out and see how, how large he is. Apostle Paul is reminding us here, there's no limits to God. There's no size constraints to God and what he can do. He can and is working a new creation in your life and mine today if you're in Christ. He can work a new creation into you if you have not yet come to faith in Christ. That's what he desires to do. That's what he delights to do. We were up recently in North Carolina, got a little time in the, the mountains. We like to go up to that that area 
and, and I've been up there since my high school years, hiked portions of the Appalachian Trail. Our family's gone up there a number of times in spring break lately. Anyway, I feel like I've been in that neck of the woods quite a bit in my life. And, and, and yet it was amazing on this trip because I experienced something new. Sitting out by a little creek near this little little cabin we were in. And, you know, green sort of all around as it's getting to be this time of year. And I saw something basically bright white, as white as this, that flashed by my attention off probably 50 yards away, sort of in the wooded area. And I thought, that's interesting. There's a piece of trash floating around out here. We need to, you know, get that gathered up. And then I took a closer look and I realized it was, it looked like something that was alive. It was moving around in sort of multiple directions. And I took a closer look and it was still from a distance. I thought, that looks like a squirrel. I have never seen before one of these squirrels. Maybe you all have an albino squirrel or a real light gray, whatever it is. It stood out like you couldn't believe. It was amazing, that squirrel. I thought, wow. And then tried to go get family. I, I was out early, so everybody wasn't quite up yet. Come out and see the squirrel. And then sure enough, out of the woods comes another one. And then a third one comes out and they're hopping all around. I've never seen these squirrels. Maybe you all have seen them a zillion times. I thought, wow, something new, something new. Maybe that would be the case for us today as we think about what Jesus has done, that there is something new for us. Well, how do we connect to this reality as we kind of wrap up our, our time here? I enjoy listening to the comedian Brian Regan. Maybe some of you have listened to him. And uh, I think I mentioned him a month or two ago. I just find, find him pretty entertaining. He's got a bit on Pop-Tarts that's pretty good. The bit on Pop-Tarts is pretty good. And he, he is uh, making fun of the fact that on the Pop-Tart box, apparently, there are actual instructions of how to prepare a Pop-Tart. And he says, you know, what, how could there be some instructions for this? Eat the Pop-Tart, you know? But he says, yeah, there's actually four steps to the instructions. How can you imagine that there would be even more than one step? You know, you might want to toast it. That's about it. He said, step one, open the Pop-Tart package. Step two, turn the Pop-Tart vertically. And he says, hey, if you don't know how to cook a Pop-Tart, you certainly don't understand the concept vertically. But Put the Pop-Tart in the toaster, toast the Pop-Tart, and then the last step is the one he finds most interesting. Eat the Pop-Tart. Folks, eat, eat the gospel. Embrace the gospel. What Jesus has done, his death, his resurrection... You and I have the opportunity. We acknowledge that we're sinners, that we've fallen short of God's glory... We acknowledge that we deserve a separation from God, but instead that God has given us his love and his grace and mercy through Christ. This great exchange we just read about, that Jesus has taken from us our, our sin and given us new life, that we can receive that. And, and we can, through embracing that by faith, have a relationship with God that's life transforming. It sounds uh, too simple, maybe. For some of us, sounds too good to be true. Let me encourage you today, eat the Pop-Tart. <laughs> Embrace what Jesus has done.
the last part of these verses, verse 18 through 20, I don't have a lot of time to, to say much about. But I want to, to mention one or two things. And that is that it reminds us here, all this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then it tells us again, how does this happen? The Pop-Tart. The world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You know what's amazing about this? If you mess up, and offend someone with what you say or hurt somebody's feelings or do something that's wrong so you're unreconciled, who's it incumbent upon to address that? Who should do something about it? Me, you. If you're the one that did it, you should go to the person and say, I'm so sorry I did that. I apologize that I, it's, it should be on us, right, to initiate. Do you read what it says in this verse? The Bible tells us that you and I have turned away from God and not lived our lives for him and not worshiped him with all our heart and mind and soul and loved our neighbor as ourselves. So we have offended him. And yet it tells us that all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He comes to you and me and says, I will seek you out for reconciliation. That's powerful, isn't it? That's amazing love that God has for us. Well, we talked at the beginning of our message about the uh, alligator arms. And I just want to come full circle to that and highlight again this uh, chapter 5, verse 21. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, isn't it a beautiful thing that Jesus chose to stretch out his arms on the cross to take our place, that Jesus reaches out his arms to us in his resurrecting love to bring us along as the forerunner, to take us with him in a relationship with him now that leads into eternity. I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't have alligator arms. Let's pray together.